Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, as you speak through your word, speak through your word now. Show us what you have today for us, that you might encourage us in the gospel and grow us in faith, that we might live faithful lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We finally have gotten to the last book that we're going to look at this summer. We've gone through the 12 shorter prophets called minor prophets. We've called it little guys with a big message. They're not less important. They're just shorter books. And all 12 fit on one scroll because they were shorter. We've gotten to the last one, and that's Malachi. And, of course, we'll drag it out. So we got two weeks on Malachi, this week and next week. And... There's the list. Hosea, we looked at. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And if some of those still don't mean anything to you other than names, you didn't name your children and you can't pronounce. Uh, the, the old sermons are on the website. You can go back and listen if any of those sound interesting to you. But we've gone through this section of the Bible that often isn't gone through or overlooked. Or, so it's, it's been a good study journey for me. Hopefully you've gotten something out of it, seeing a lot of themes come back throughout uh, God's servants here. And today we're going to look at Malachi. And the first two verses of Malachi, in a sense, say it all. So here's what they are. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Here's that word. Verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? That's it. There's a whole lot there in that verse, for chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Sound familiar, right? How does this summarize our faith at times, right? God says to us, I love you, and we say, really? How? Or, really, God? I'm not so sure. And how often do we get a case of spiritual amnesia where God says, I love you, I've chosen you by grace, I've saved you, you are my people, I am always with you, and then we turn around and say, how, when, you don't love me, or what have you done for me lately? Leave it to the Simpsons to show some truth at times. How often has that been you and me, right? All the things God has done for us, after all the things he's done, we forget it in a moment and say, what have you done for me lately? How often is that us? God says, I've loved you. And you say, how? How often have we acted like this toward God and forget everything as he has done? But here's what happens when we do that. There are consequences. And that's what happened to God's people in Malachi's day. Here's what it is. When we doubt God's love for us, our lives will show it. Maybe not in a day, but over time. When we doubt God's love for us and God's truth for us, our actions will show it. And that's because belief drives behavior. What you believe about a lot of things impact how you live. What you believe about what foods are good for you Drive what you will eat if you want to be healthy, right? What you believe about God absolutely impacts how you behave, how you live. What you believe about God drives how you live and how you act. And almost always, 
when we begin to doubt things about God that are true, like God's love for us or even God's existence, it shows. It shows in our life. And then we begin to live as if God doesn't love us. So when we doubt God's truth, we begin to live like God's truth isn't true. So God says, I've loved you, but we say, how? How have you loved us? And when we do this, we are in the fast lane to all sorts of destructive sin. And that's exactly where God's people were in Malachi's day. They doubted God's love and truth, and then they walked into all sorts of destructive sin. And I'm convinced that's the case with me, and that's the case with, with all of us. That, yes, there are times that when you get tempted and, and given a temptation here, yes, yes, yes. But over a long pattern, when we doubt God and the goodness of God and the things that are true about God, it will show in our lives, and we will stop doing God's will. That's exactly what happened to God's people. Well, I'm hoping as we go through Here's what Malachi is going to teach us today. Here's what I'm hoping he teaches us, and that's this. Trusting a trustworthy God is always worth it. I'm hoping that's what we get out of Malachi. This week and next week, hopefully you see it too, that trusting a trustworthy God is always worth it because, yes, we all question and wonder on seasons and weeks and days if that's true. And I hope Malachi teaches us, trusting a trustworthy God is always worth it. Okay, a word on Malachi. Let's remember where he is or find where he is. And that is a little hard to see. There's a, a timeline all the way from Old Testament creation on the far left to the future when Christ returns on the far right. And two-thirds, almost three-quarters of the Bible is Old Testament or B.C. scriptures and Malachi is almost to the end of all that. So the creation, patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, they're in the land. They, the judges, then David, we look through David and all the kings, and then they go into exile into Babylon. Then they return, and they're at the end of the return, and Malachi's the last book of the Old Testament. And then there's what's called silence that is 400 years or so between Malachi and Matthew, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So that's where we are, but guess where God's people are? You see, they've been back from exile in Babylon. They've been back a hundred years, and they've rebuilt their homes. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt Jerusalem, but their lives still aren't going well. It's just not as good as it used to be. And after a number of years of that, they began to believe that God forgot about them. Or that God didn't love them, and that as they believed that, then it showed up in their lives because what we believe about God drives how we live. Belief drives behavior. So they doubted God's love, and then they lived for themselves. So Malachi is given this word from God, and the book of Malachi is really an argument. You'll see it back and forth. It's an argument between God and the Israelites. It's written really cleverly. You go home and read it. It's only four chapters. You can read it all. Uh, over lunch today, and God says one thing, and then the people say, how? how? How have we done this? Who? God says, you've done this, and it's not my will, and people say, who? how? Us? We, no. How did we do that? And it goes back and forth, back and forth. So it's, it's an argument between God and his people, starting with God saying, I've loved you, but you say, how? How have you loved us? 
So that formula happens all throughout the book. God says something, people argue back. So I'm going to walk through four of those in the book briefly and show you how this works. So the first one, it's God exposing his people's sins. So the first one is part of our reading in chapter 1. And the first one has to do with corrupt priests. How about that for the pastor's sermon? I'll talk about corrupt priests. Yes, it happens, and it happened a lot, and it still happens today at times. So chapter 1, if you're following along in your Bible or in uh, bulletin printed, verse 6 continues, God says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord? Then he says, O priests who despise my name. People reply, But you say, How have we despised your name? And God says, By offering polluted food on my altar. But you say, How have we polluted you? It's like God's talking to a, a young, belligerent child. But you say, how we pluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those who are lame or sick, is that not evil? Try presenting those to your governor. Will he accept them and show you favor? And it says, now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us because God is gracious. So what's going on is the people didn't honor God enough to obey his word. God told them to offer the best animals for sacrifice, and they gave the worst. And the priests, they played right along, even inviting it. So corruption in the people's hearts, and the priests were absolutely corrupt too. They just said, hey, give money, and we'll do whatever you want. That was the first problem. Second thing, disunity and injustice of the leaders. So the priests are at fault, and the leaders are at fault. National leaders became, over time, very selfish and demanding. Instead of caring for those under their care, they just cared about themselves. And so poverty and injustice were rampant. They didn't look out for the poor. The leaders didn't see the justice of God and reflect it. They just gained for themselves. That's the second thing. Third thing that was going on had to do with marriage. So men, in this case, weren't just being tempted by women they weren't married to, they were leaving their wives to take foreign wives. So they were abandoning their marriage vows and families to take other women to drive them around their new shiny red convertible sports camel wagon. And that's just the first sin. The second was that these women then led them to worship other gods. So people are abandoning God's word and God's will all over and it just has destruction all over in its path. That's the third thing. Then the fourth thing Malachi talks about, and that's what we read, chapter 3, has to do with the tithe. Chapter 3 talks about the tithe, which is the money people gave. Tithe specifically was given towards the temple. And it was a tenth of people's annual earnings and crops that was given to the temple for its operation and for the priests. And they weren't doing this. So God was saying to them, you're robbing me. Because God says to them, you know, every dollar, every grain of wheat, every ear of corn, it's all mine in the first place, and I've given it to you. So whatever you give back, you're only giving me what's already mine out of thanksgiving and trust. So God says, you're you're robbing me. 
And God goes on to say, I really want to bless you and make you prosper, but knock that greed off. So here's how he says, I'll read some of it, because you hear the, the same formula. God says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, children of Jacob, you are not consumed. That's actually great mercy of God. Because I don't change, because I'm gracious, merciful, and loving, I won't zap you right now. That's, that's kind of what God says. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you. There it is again. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? God says, in your tithes, in your contributions. Then God says, basically, dare me. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse and put me to the test and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down blessings so that there is no more need. Then all nations will call you blessed and you will be a land of delight. Wow. But here's the thing. Before God's people did any of these things, they first doubted God's love. It's not that they were simply uh, tempted to do one thing and, and just did one bad thing and said, oh, I'm sorry. No, this was a long-term pattern of their lives and how they were living because nearly all of our disobedience begins with disbelief in God. Disobedience to, to God begins with our disbelief. So have you ever thought about that way? That our disbelief in what's true about God usually always leads us then on the path to disobedience. You see, anything you and I are tempted towards and do that isn't good for us and isn't good to other people, it begins with a disbelief in something true about God. So let's take the last one, number four, uh, tithe or giving. Before you do something greedy, that is, hoard your money or aren't generous towards others or to God, before you do that, you have first believed something about God. You either believe that God isn't generous, that you have to keep it all to yourself, or that God won't actually take care of you, that you've got to take care of yourself. Yet God has all over the place promised to take care of you. You see, trusting a trustworthy God is always worth it. And the same would be true for anything else on that list that we talked about, like the, the third one, like marriage. If you are tempted to violate your marriage vows... It's not first about her or him. It's first about God. You distrust God to have given you the, the right spouse, and you distrust God that keeping your vows is the best thing for you. You see, before we do any sin or any evil, we first doubt God's grace, God's goodness, and God's promises. But then there's God's word there that says trusting a trustworthy God is always worth it. You see, when you doubt God's love, look straight at Jesus on the cross. You see, if seeing Jesus on the cross bleeding and dying for you, if that doesn't show you God's love, I'm not sure anything will. When you doubt God's love, look at Jesus on the cross. Look at God bleeding and dying for you to take away your sin. Look at God justifying you by Jesus' death. And when you doubt God's love, hear Jesus say to all those people making fun of him, saying, Father, forgive them. And when you doubt God's love for you, hear Jesus stretch out his arms and say, it is finished. 
And when you doubt God's love, look at the hands and feet of Jesus that flowed with God's love for you. Micah, or sorry, not Micah, Malachi, other M. Malachi, the last prophet, 400 years before Jesus. And Malachi promised that God would send his messenger, that's what Malachi actually means, my messenger, but he would send another messenger to heal your heart, to heal his people, to heal his land. And Malachi promised that God would send the Messiah to bring those things, to bring unity, to give forgiveness, and to show God's love unlike it had ever been shown before. Malachi promised that that day was coming. And that day has come in part, the first installment. Jesus has come for you. He died for you, rose for you. He is God with you. Jesus is love incarnate, and he will never leave you, and he is trustworthy. And he has promised to come again. And why does God do all this? Because God is trustworthy. That's what he's promised to do, and God keeps his promises. Trusting a trustworthy God is always worth it. You can trust the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has earned your trust all the way to the cross and back, and he is sitting on the throne of heaven waiting to return. And in the meantime, trusting a trustworthy God is always worth it. So wherever you are today and whatever you're facing, you can trust God with your sins. They're forgiven. You can trust God with your fears. God is love. You can trust God with your hopes because God is good. You can trust God with your pain because God is near to the brokenhearted. And you can trust God with your future, even if you're not entirely sure you really want to do His will. Trusting a trustworthy God is always worth it. If you can read it, say it with me. Trusting a trustworthy God is always worth it. And may the peace of God that goes beyond our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.